I remember one time one of the champion corn growers came to Bismarck, and I don't remember off the top of my head what his yield was, but he was talking about it. And at the end of his presentation Q&A, I asked him, well, what was your cost per bushel? And at that time, corn was selling for about $3.50 a bushel. And he said, well, my cost to produce it was just over $7. And I said, well, I have no desire to learn how to go broke. I don't care what your yield is. What's your profit? Welcome to the 289th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. A decade ago, I had the great fortune to get a personal tour of Gabe Brown's farming operation just outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. Gabe generously spent half a day showing me how he was making soil health the cornerstone of his crop and livestock enterprises. During the tour, he told me the story of what set him and his family on their soil health journey. The story has now become the stuff of legends. He and his wife, Shelley, bought their farm from her parents in 1991. And in 1994, they went 100% no-till as a way to save moisture in their cropping system, which produced mostly small grains like wheat. The Browns liked the no-till system, but bad weather produced a string of crop failures during the late 1990s. It made things extremely difficult financially, to the point where the family was having a hard time borrowing enough money to purchase fertilizer. This forced them to start planting more legumes that could fix nitrogen and provide homegrown fertility while feeding their cattle herd. One thing led to another, and soon the Browns came to the realization that their soil had an innate ability to create its own fertility and resilience. If the farmers would only give it a chance by building its biology, and organic matter levels through a combination of no-till, cover crops, and rotational grazing. In short, they made a direct connection between a healthy soil biome and a healthy bank account. It's not an exaggeration to say that this insight helped save Brown's Ranch from insolvency. Eventually, the Browns joined a group of farmers and ranchers in that part of North Dakota who were working with people like soil conservationist Jay Fear and microbiologist Kristen Nichols to take a holistic approach to managing the land. Over the years, the Burley County Soil Health Team became the model for how farmers, natural resource professionals, and scientists can team up to create a regenerative production system that's economically and ecologically viable. Gabe Brown is now a bit of a celebrity in the regenerative ag movement. He travels the world to present on soil health, has published a book, and was featured in a major documentary. In 2021, Gabe was awarded the prestigious Heinz Award for the Environment, which he admits left him speechless something that doesn't happen very often to the gregarious farmer. These days, he travels a lot for Understanding Ag, a regenerative farming group that works with producers all over the world. I thought about my eye-opening September morning on Brown's Ranch a decade ago while attending a recent Soil Health Field Day co-sponsored by LSP. The host was Tom Cotter, who, as Ear to the Ground podcast episode 288 outlines, is making soil health the foundation of his own crop and livestock operation in southern Minnesota. Gabe Brown was a presenter at the Cotter Field Day, which, besides LSP, was sponsored by the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition, Superior Cannabis Company, Albert Lee Seed, and the Nature Conservancy. Over 150 farmers and others turned out to hear Tom and Gabe talk about how healthy soil can increase an operation's return on investment and how focusing on high yields to the exclusion of everything else can often be a disastrous strategy financially. The event was a prime example of why the soil health movement has proven so resilient over the years. The main presenters helped the participants get excited about the potential offered up by building healthier soil. 
But then those same participants made connections with other farmers who were in attendance, creating their own localized regenerative ag networks, the kind of networks where the energy generated at a field day can be turned into nuts and bolts practices that work back on individual farms. It was community-based knowledge sharing at its best. During a break in the action during the field day, I sat down with Gabe and asked him a few questions about the state of the soil health and regenerative ag movements and where he sees them going in the future. During our conversation, he admitted that when he threw a desperation Hail Mary pass all those years ago and took Brown's Ranch down the regenerative path, he had no idea he was becoming part of a movement that would fire the imagination of farmers the world over. So Gabe, we're just in the middle of a field day here at Tom Cotter's farm and we're seeing some of the things he's been doing. And Tom's really interesting. He's been involved with Land Stewardship Project and with some other groups here in Minnesota. And it's been really interesting to see him take that journey down soil health, the path of soil health and regenerative agriculture. And he's willing to try something new every time. You get around all over the country and in other parts of the world and I know you've been involved with this. How long have you been kind of feel like you've been involved with it? A couple decades maybe now? Where do you feel like we're at? This is kind of an unfair question, but I think you're a person, good person to gauge this. Every movement kind of has its evolutions. Where are we at with this kind of regenerative ag and soil health movement uh, right at this point in time a little bit? Where, what stage are we at, I guess? Good question, Brian. And I look at it as we're... We're definitely moving past the early adopters, and we're starting to move, starting to move into mainstream. You know, three to five years ago, the word regenerative agriculture, soil health, it was being mentioned, but nothing like it is today. You know, today, it's in every farm magazine and radio stations, workshops such as this, and look at the attendance here today, fantastic attendance. We're seeing more and more people talk about it. But interestingly enough, it's not only happening amongst farmers and ranchers. We're seeing a real change in industry. You know, whether it be suppliers or whether it be the, the purchasers, you know, uh, food companies, etc., are starting to talk about sourcing regeneratively grown and raised products. So I look at that as a good thing. I think it's going to expand at even a more accelerated rate. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering if we are, we're starting to see at our workshops and field days more and more quote-unquote conventional farmers show up. Are you seeing that? Oh, we definitely are. And uh, the big driver, of course, is input costs. You know, these input costs have accelerated at a much greater rate than have the commodity prices. And farmers are realizing it's going to be up to them. Are they going to be able to make a profit? Well, best way to make a profit is through regenerative, using these regenerative practices. Speaking of input costs, you did a really nice piece out there in the field here where we were looking at some of uh, what Tom's doing, where you talked about how much kind of free fertility we have out there and free nutrients and um, how it's not, I think you said something along the lines that we're not short on fertility, we're just short on the biology to kind of help activate it. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's, I think that's, because that's a key piece to taking that next step is dealing with the economics and showing people that cause and effect situation. Sure, so one of the things we do when we have a new client come to Understanding Ag is that we do a basic suite of tests. And one of those tests is called a TND, Total Nutrient Digestion. And what it is, it takes into account 
all forms of nutrients in the soil. By that, uh, specifically nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, potassium, and some of the major micronutrients. And we do that to show farmers and ranchers that they have enough nutrients in their soil. But the fact of the matter is those nutrients are not available because they don't have the biological activity to free those nutrients up and make them available. And that helps get the farmer or rancher in the right mindset that, okay, I need to look at the biological component. I need to look at my farm as an ecosystem as opposed to one that just uh, we put inputs into. Yeah, and I think I get I uh, take this, and I've heard you talk about this before. You're not a fan of this focus. It seems like it's done a lot of damage, you feel like, to agriculture, this focus on yields. Well... I don't care what your yield is, a high yield may not keep you in business. But return on investment, profitability, then you have a chance to stay in business. And we need as farmers to focus more on the profitability aspect of farming and ranching. And how much money are we really keeping into our business and, and to support our families? So let's, let's talk about profit, not so much yield. Yeah, I think that's a, that return on investment is so... I mean, yield contests, I think, have been just a real, <laughs> the downfall in some ways is just such a folk. Because you can put, you can have the greatest yield in the world, but if you if it costs you a fortune to put it in there, and like you said, it's kind of free in the soil. Uh, that's right. I remember one time one of the champion corn growers came to Bismarck, and I don't remember off the top of my head what his yield was, but he was talking about it. And at the end of his presentation Q&A, I asked him, well, what was your cost per bushel? And at that time, corn was selling for about $3.50 a bushel. And he said, well, my cost to produce it was just over $7. And I said, well, I have no desire to learn how to go broke. You know, that made no sense to me. I don't care what your yield is. (laughs) What's your profit? I wanted to go back a little bit to, uh, we're talking about where we're at with the movement, and one of the things you'd mentioned was kind of the general public a little bit's becoming more aware of it. And I know historically there has, the environmental community has seen agriculture as part of the problem with issues like water quality, mm-hmm. climate change, erosion, that kind of thing, wildlife habitat, decimation, all of that. This seems like there's been other things tried in the past to try to say, look, agriculture can be a positive uh, factor in all that. But this soil health seems to be the one that's really, from what I've seen, one that's really kind of uh, gotten people's attention. Is that something you've seen? Oh, without a doubt. One of the things we focus on is what we call common ground for common good. I don't care where your interest lies. You need to approach an individual, an organization, a community where they're at. For instance, Farmers and ranchers, we approach them from a profitability standpoint. Let's talk about increasing your profit. We might talk to a civic organization that's interested in climate change. Okay, let's talk to them about how farmers and ranchers can sequester more carbon by diversifying the crop rotation, planting cover crops. If your interest is in water quality, Let's talk to them how farmers and ranchers, by planting these cover crops, can keep the nutrients on their farm, not in the watershed. If we're talking to uh, the consumers, well, their interest is going to lie in human health. Okay, let's talk about how regeneratively managed farms and ranches with improved soil health 
produced food that's higher in nutrient density. Mm -hmm. So it's common ground for common good. We firmly believe that as human beings, we can all agree on about 85% of the things. Why don't we focus on that and not worry about that 15%? Let's come together and find common ground for common good. And we look at regenerative agriculture as that common ground. The other thing that's really struck me is I remember when what was happening in Burley County was first getting some attention. And we particularly saw that in this area, and I know down in Iowa and, and some of the other Corn Belt states, quote-unquote Corn Belt states. They're like, well, that's fine, but it's not going to work here. I think what's really valuable about some of the work you're doing now where you're going and visiting these farms and in the process highlighting what they're doing, you're showing it can. These principles, it's going to be a different climate, different soil, a lot of different things, but the principles can be applied in different areas. Well, that's exactly right. The six principles drive the four ecosystem processes. And no matter where I travel, not only in the United States, North America, but around the world, those six principles, four processes are the same. So the tools we use, which cash crop we plant, which cover crop, which species of livestock, those may all be different. But the principles and the processes are the same everywhere. Is there something that you're, you've, you're, you've always innovated and you've always had a pretty open mind about trying new things and you've been on a lot of farms to see some of the different things folks are trying? Is there something you're, you're like, well, I'd like to try that or, or something new out there that maybe people haven't heard about? Or uh, where we, are you still in that innovative stage, I guess, trying to try some new ideas or seeing some people who've been trying some stuff that you think has really got some some potential there? Well, I'm going to talk about some of the things being done from a research standpoint. We're working with a number of researchers, Dr. Stefan Van Vliet, Dr. Fred Provenza, Dr. Scott Kronberg, who are doing an excellent job of researching that soil health, plant health, animal health, human health connection. And they're using a mass spectrometer to measure over 2,200 different phytonutrient compounds and how do, can we follow that? If we have healthy soil, does that equate to nutrient-dense food? And I think that's really cutting edge because it affects all of us as consumers. When you were starting this two, decade, two decades ago and you were kind of doing, I know, I know your story, you were doing a little bit of a desperation and then you started to see things kind of connect and work a little bit. Did you ever see where you, were at, you would be at where you're at with this and where the movement would be at with this? No, not at all. I, I really firmly believe God gave me those four years of hail and drought for a reason. He knew I had a big mouth and that I'd <laughs> spread the message. And, you know, those were tough years to go through, but the best thing that could have happened to my family and I. And I'm just truly blessed for being able to be a part of this regenerative community in this movement. You still having fun? A lot of fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> For more on ways to build soil health profitably, check out the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 289 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll also find links to the podcast interview with Tom Cotter, as well as the original Land Stewardship Letter article on the Burley County Soil Health Team. By the way, during our interview, Gabe Brown mentioned the six principles of soil health. They are know your context, cover the soil, minimize soil disturbance, increase diversity, maintain continuous living plants slash roots, and integrate livestock. The four ecosystem processes he referenced are energy flow, 
water cycle, nutrient cycle, and community dynamics. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 